Welcome to This Week in the History of Psychology for August 28th to September 3rd. This is your host, Christopher Green from York University in Toronto, Canada. In this, our inaugural episode, we'll first take a brief look at some of the most important events that happened during this week in psychology's past. Then we'll have our feature interview with Professor Raymond Fancher on Sigmund Freud's first and only trip to America. Finally, we'll celebrate the birthdays of some important psychologists. All this and more on this installment of This Week in the History of Psychology. First, for August 28th, in 1972, the first doctorates were awarded by the California School of Professional Psychology, the nation's first independent professional school of psychology. For August 29th, in 1958, Psy Chi, the National Honor Society in Psychology, was accepted as an American Psychological Association affiliated organization. Psy Chi was founded in 1929. For August 30th, in 1973, the APA Council of Representatives admitted Division 35 for the Psychology of Women, and the Association of Gay Psychologists Caucus held its first meeting at the APA convention in Montreal. For September 1st, in 1936, the Society for the Psychological Study of Social Issues, or SPISI, was founded in Room 104 of McNutt Hall in Dartmouth College. Ross Stanger was the chair pro tem, and Goodwin Watson was the first elected chair. SPISI is now Division 9 of the APA. Also for September 1st, in 1967, Martin Luther King Jr. addressed an audience of about 5,000 at the APA's annual convention. His topic was the role of the behavioral scientist in the civil rights movement. For September 2nd, in 1793, mental patients were released from their chains at the Bicetre Asylum in Paris. About 50 were released on this day, and another 30 were released the next day. Philippe Pinel had recently been appointed director of the institution, but his assistant, Jean-Baptiste Poussin, began humane treatment at the Bisset as early as 1790. Also for September 2nd, in 1938, B.F. Skinner's first book, The Behavior of Organisms, was published. Although it would become one of the most influential works in psychology, only 548 copies were sold during the first eight years of its existence. And for September 2nd, 1968, the Association of Black Psychologists was formed. Charles W. Thomas, formerly of the University of Southern California, and Robert L. Green of Michigan State University were elected co-chairs of the organization. And finally, two events that are important for the study of the history of psychology, if not for psychology as a whole. Uh, on September 1st, 1963, at a meeting with Robert I. Watson, the Psychology Press agreed to financially sponsor the Journal of the History of the Behavioral Sciences. The first issue was published in 1965. And on September 3rd, 1960, the first meeting of the APA's History of Psychology group was held. The meeting was attended by 26 participants, including leaders Robert I. Watson, David Backen, and John C. Burnham. The group later became APA Division 26, the Society for the History of Psychology. In late August 1909, Sigmund Freud made his way across the Atlantic Ocean for what would be his only trip to America. 
The voyage was occasioned by an invitation from American psychologist Granville Stanley Hall, who, as president of Clark University, was making arrangements for a celebration of the 20th anniversary of Clark's founding. As part of the fete, Hall asked Freud to give a series of lectures on his new and controversial approach to psychotherapy, psychoanalysis. At first, Freud had declined the invitation, but he eventually agreed after Hall arranged to change the dates to suit Freud's schedule and increased his honorarium. To tell us more about this singular event, we have on the line Professor Raymond Fancher of York University, who is the author of Psychoanalytic Psychology, The Development of Freud's Thought, published by Norton. Dr. Fancher, could you tell us first about the state of American psychiatry prior to Freud's arrival? Interest and concern um, about psychogenic disorders, that is, uh, disorders that seem to have psychological causes, and that potentially meant uh, that there might be some psychological types of treatment for them. Uh, the word psychotherapy, for example, was a uh, uh, a term that was uh, coming into pretty broad use at that time. And these were, uh, these were conditions, um, I guess, most dramatically illustrated by hysteria, where patients uh, would manifest paralyses or disorders of the senses, uh, sometimes spectacular um, memory kinds of problems, uh, amnesias, in spectacular cases, uh, multiple personalities, uh, those kinds of things uh, were pretty widespread uh, and received a good deal of public and professional attention. A related issue that uh, a lot of people, both in America and uh, abroad, were concerned about uh, was hypnosis, because this seemed in some cases to be uh, uh, a kind of artificial or experimentally induced uh, situation where a lot of these things could be replicated, where uh, subjects could be rendered uh, anesthetic to, to pain, uh, where memory could be influenced and things of that sort. Mm -hmm. and, and how was reaction to Freud's work in particular shaping up at Europe during the, sort of the end of the first decade of the 20th century? Was he seen as a, as a major figure in, in these areas? Well, Freud, uh, first of all, Freud was very ambitious, uh, very prolific. He, uh, uh, you know, he published uh, a great deal. Uh, fairly early in his career, in the, uh, in the early 1890s and mid-1890s, uh, he had published some very well-received and non-controversial work on uh, cerebral palsy in children, uh, and on aphasia, uh, so he had quite a quite a good reputation uh, on uh, in those fields. But at the same time, he was developing his much more controversial ideas about psychoanalysis, uh, uh, involving uh, his hypotheses about the unconscious causation of uh, some of these psychogenic types of conditions that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and uh, particularly controversial were some of his hypotheses about the, about the role of sexual feelings and attitudes and, uh, as he saw it, uh, wishes uh, uh, along these lines. So uh, this work, Freud had no trouble getting it published, but this 
work, which he, he referred to as psychoanalysis, uh, was was much more controversial and and got a mixed reception. Um, on the one hand, he attracted uh, a small but growing body of followers, uh, people like Carl Abraham from Berlin. Uh, a young follower at first was Carl Jung from uh, Switzerland. People who uh, who who. Uh, both took seriously and uh, and became convinced by his work, uh, but also there was a, a good deal of dissent, and particularly a feeling that he probably overemphasized sexuality. So uh, so he was known. His work was widely published, uh, but it was all was all in German. Uh, I, I think he had one or two pieces in French, uh, but there were no translations of his work available, and so. Uh, it was, at least on a first-hand basis, was primarily known in uh, in the German-speaking world. So, given that he was a, a controversial or, or even marginal figure in 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 European psychiatry, and that all his work was had been published in German, what was his appeal specifically to G. Stanley Hall, who was the person who had invited him over to America to give his lectures? Uh, Hall, of course, was uh, was the president of uh, and, and founding president of. Uh, Clark University in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. Hall was a major figure in uh, the uh, development of uh, institutional psychology in America, uh, founding president of the American Psychological Association, uh, founding editor of the American Journal of Psychology, first professional journal in the field. Uh, And uh, also, in his own work, uh, Hall was a pioneering developmental psychologist. And I think the most pertinent to his interest in Freud and psychoanalysis, in 1904, he published a major work entitled Adolescence. And uh, this work uh, actually did more than anything else to bring both the term and the concept of adolescence to wide uh, popular uh, usage previously had been a a pretty technical term. And so in the course of this, Hall had uh, become interested in issues of uh, both uh, child development uh, and the role of sexuality in that development. Um, He uh, was very fluent in German, uh, had spent some time studying with Wundt in Germany, so uh, he became familiar with Freud's works and uh, uh, thought it would be of, of interest. Possibly a side interest is that at about the same time, uh, a group of uh, psychiatrists in Boston, with whom Hall apparently had a little bit of rivalry, uh, they were beginning to get interested in Freud in, uh, and his, uh, his psychoanalytic techniques. And so uh, there's some indication that uh, Hall felt he might uh, get a, a scoop on uh, on his psychiatric rivals by uh, by being the person to bring to bring Freud to America. Well, that's um, that's interesting. Why was Freud then interested in lecturing in America at that time? Freud was very ambitious. Uh, no question that he wanted to establish as broad an audience as he possibly could for his uh, uh, for his ideas and uh, so uh, well the short answer is that he uh, he saw this as a 
uh, as a wonderful opportunity to uh, to come to uh, an English-speaking country and to present his his ideas to a new audience. Although somewhat paradoxically, here maybe uh, he. Uh, his plan and what he actually did was to deliver his lectures in German. But nonetheless, uh, it was a wonderful opportunity to uh, to present his ideas, that really for the first time, to uh, the the large and influential uh, English-speaking world. So, what did um, Freud actually tell his this first American audience during the? He gave five lectures. Yes. Uh, yeah, he did. Uh, Freud gave total of five lectures. Um, apparently, uh, each one was given uh, without notes, although uh, he spent the morning before each lecture uh, on a walk with uh, uh, Sandor Ferenzi, uh, one of his younger colleagues who had come with him, uh, potting the lecture. And uh, the lectures uh, in, in total uh, gave a kind of a a historical introduction and background to the development of his ideas. So he began by talking about uh, his collaborative efforts with uh, Joseph Breuer to uh, develop a psychotherapy for treating hysteria. Gave a lot of credit, actually, uh, to uh, to Breuer as uh, as being responsible for some of the founding ideas. He moved on to talk about what we now call Freudian slips, that is these presumably unconsciously created mistakes that occur um, that were traditionally one of his one of his favorite ways of introducing and popularizing uh, psychoanalytic ideas. Uh, he talked about dreams, his theory that uh, dreams represented the disguised fulfillment of unconscious and uh, uh, usually sexually based ideas and and wishes. He talked about his uh, techniques for psychotherapy. And so in general, the, uh, the five lectures amounted to uh, a very lucid and accessible historical introduction to uh, the development of psychoanalysis. What was uh, the American reaction? America, I guess, was considered in some ways a more conservative uh, place than Europe. Uh, what was the, the reaction, both of the intellectuals and of the public, to Freud's lectures? Well, here, again, Hall plays a very major role here. Hall clearly saw Freud as, as a star attraction for the conference, and uh, went out of his way to make sure that uh, Freud's, Freud's lectures were particularly well covered by the press and uh, uh, got the maximum amount of publicity. And uh, perhaps even more important, uh, Hall convinced Freud to, to, to try to recreate his lectures in writing uh, in German after he, uh, after he returned to Vienna and to uh, send them to Hall for translation and publication in his American Journal of Psychology. And so uh, these were published in 1910 uh, under the title The Origins of Psychoanalysis. Uh, and as I've indicated, they um, amounted to a very 
lucid historical introduction to the subject. And so this was the really the first of Freud's uh, own writings to appear in English. Uh, they were uh, very uh, successful, I would say. They're very lucid, uh, accessible, and uh, they really created a climate then uh, for the subsequent translations of, uh, of, of Freud's other works. So it was mission accomplished for Freud then? He, uh... Uh, very much so, yes, I, I, I would say so. And uh, uh, during, during the teens uh, uh, and the early 20s, uh, Freud's major works were almost immediately published as soon as they came off the, the press, and uh, Freud became, uh, uh, his, his, his name became a household term in America within a, within a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that Freud also met uh, another of America's uh, psychological uh, I- important people, uh, William James. Uh, Freud and James met at Hall's house, as I understand. What was that yes, encounter that's like? Right. That's right. Well, I, as I as I said, this was a it was a major conference with uh, many uh, speakers from psychology and pedagogy and across the board. But William James, who at that point was I guess he was in his late 60s. Uh, he was ill, was in, in, in failing health, and uh, in fact, he died uh, shortly after that. Uh, but he, he was certainly uh, America's most famous psychologist at that point. And uh, he came for actually just one day of the, uh, of the conference and uh, did attend Freud's lecture on that day. And uh, apparently, the details are a little bit vague, but apparently uh, Freud walked with James uh, on his way back to the train station when uh, James was returning to, uh, to Boston. And uh, I, I guess they had uh, some, some interesting conversation, uh, although uh, James also experienced a severe angina attack uh, while on the walk. Mm-hmm had to stop and rest and compose himself. And Freud always remarked afterward that he uh, greatly admired the, the courage and the composure that, uh, that James showed in, in this distressing episode. Uh, exactly what they talked about is a little bit unclear. James later wrote in some letters to some of his students and confidants that uh, that he thought that Freud overemphasized sexuality, that he had uh, an e-day fix about uh, the importance of sexuality. But he also said that uh, the, these were new and exciting ideas and that they should be given full, uh, they should be allowed to go as far as they, as far as they can. There seems to have been some mutual personal respect between the two, although some some disagreement over the over the nature of their psychologies. Right. Well, thank you very much. That was Professor Raymond Fancher of York University in Toronto, Canada. He is the author of Psychoanalytic Psychology, The Development of Freud's Thought, published by Norton, and he's been telling us about Freud's first and only trip to America to give lectures at Clark University in 1909.
If you would like to read the lectures Freud gave or the published version, which appeared in Hall's American Journal of Psychology in 1910, you can find them on the Classics in the History of Psychology website. That is at psychclassics.yorku.ca. If you would like to know more about Freud's trip to America, you can find accounts in uh, Freud's biography by Ernest Jones, The Life and Work of Sigmund Freud, in Volume 2. Uh, you can also find an account in G. Stanley Hall's biography by Dorothy Ross. That is G. Stanley Hall, The Psychologist as Prophet, published by the University of Chicago Press. Finally, you can find independent accounts of these events uh, in an article by Rand Evans and W.A. Kolsch in 1985 called Psychoanalysis Arrives in America, the 1909 Conference at Clark University, published in American Psychologist. There is also a full-length book treatment by Saul Rosenzweig from 1994 entitled The Historic Expedition to America 1909, Freud, Jung, and Hall the Kingmaker, and that's published by Rana House. And now it's time for our birthdays on This Week in the History of Psychology, starting with August 28th. In 1749, Johann von Goethe was born. Although best known as an author, Goethe's studies of color were some of the most influential of his time. For August 29th, we have two birthdays. First, in 1632, John Locke was born. Locke was, of course, the founder of British empiricist philosophy, which some think lay the foundation for modern scientific psychology. Also on August 29th, in 1900, we have the birthday of John Dollard, who is best known for his work on the frustration-aggression hypothesis with Neil Miller. On August 30th, David Hartley was born in 1705. Hartley founded the School of Associationism, stressing contiguous brain vibrations as the cause of learning, forgetting, imagination, and perception. And in 1933, also on August 30th, Saul Sternberg was born. Sternberg is best known for his work in memory research, especially for the serial exhaustive search model. For August 31st, we have three birthdays. The first, in 1821, is Hermann von Helmholtz, who hardly needs any introduction here. Helmholtz was one of the most important scientists not only in psychology, but also in physics and physiology in the 19th century. On August 31st, 1870, Maria Montessori was born. Montessori was, of course, the founder of the influential and still popular educational approach that still bears her name. And on August 31st, 1874, Edward Lee Thorndike was born. Thorndike's studies of cats learning to escape from puzzle boxes are especially well known and resulted in his famous Law of Effect and Law of Exercise. He was APA president in 1912. And for September 1st, we have Mary Covered Jones's birthday in 1896. Jones is best known for her 1924 Little Peter study in which she showed that fear can be eliminated through counterconditioning. She also conducted pioneering studies of the differences between early and late maturing girls. Girls. And those are our birthdays for the week of August 28th through September 3rd. And 
that's it for this episode of This Week in the History of Psychology. We would like to thank York University for hosting the program, as well as Michael Guimar for his technical assistance, and especially Lauren Street and the American Psychological Association for their website, Today in the History of Psychology, which we use for research and from which we sometimes quote directly. This Week in the History of Psychology is the sole property of Christopher D. Green. The opinions expressed on This Week in the History of Psychology are not necessarily those of Christopher D. Green or York University.